factors giving rise to desire for reform. The dawn of the 19th century witnessed the birth of a new vision, a modern vision among some enlightened sections of Indian society. This enlightened vision was to shape the course of events for decades to come and even beyond. This process of reawakening, sometimes, but not with full justification, defined as the Renaissance, did not always follow the intended line and gave rise to some undesirable byproducts as well, which have become as much a part of daily existence in the whole of the Indian subcontinent as have the fruits of these reform movements. Impact of British Rule The presence of a colonial government on Indian soil played a complex, yet decisive role in this crucial phase of modern Indian history. The impact of British rule on Indian society and culture was widely different from what India had known before. Most of the earlier invaders, who had come to India settled within its frontiers, were either absorbed by its superior culture or interacted positively with it and had become part of the land and its people. However, the British conquest was different. It came at a time when India, in contrast to an enlightened Europe of the 18th century affected in every aspect by science and scientific outlook, presented the picture of a stagnant civilization and a static and decadent society. Social conditions ripe for reform Religious and social ills Indian society in the 19th century was caught in a vicious web created by religious superstitions and social obscurantism. Hinduism had become steeped in magic and superstition. The priests exercised an overwhelming and, indeed, unhealthy influence on the minds of the people. Idolatry and polytheism helped to reinforce their position, and their monopoly of scriptural knowledge imparted a deceptive character to all religious systems. There was nothing that religious ideology could not persuade people to do. Depressing Position of Women Social conditions were equally depressing. The most distressing was the position of women. Attempts to kill female infants at birth were not unusual. Child marriage was another bane of society. The practice of polygamy prevailed and in Bengal, under colonialism, even old men took very young girls as wives. Several women hardly had a married life worth the name, yet, at least among the higher castes, when their husbands died they were expected to commit sati which Raja Ram Mohan Roy described as a murder according to every Shastra. If they escaped this social coercion, they were condemned to a life of misery and humiliation. The caste problem Another debilitating factor was caste. This entailed a system of segregation, hierarchically ordained on the basis of ritual status. At the bottom of the ladder came the untouchables or scheduled castes, as they came to be called later. The untouchables suffered from numerous and severe disabilities and restrictions. The system splintered people into numerous groups. In modern times it became a major obstacle in the growth of a united national feeling and the spread of democracy. It may also be noted that caste consciousness, particularly with regard to marriage, 
prevailed also among Muslims, Christians and Sikhs who also practiced untouchability, though in a less virulent form. Under a rigid caste system, social mobility was checked, social divisions grew and individual initiative was thwarted. Above all, the humiliation of untouchability, so much a part of the caste system, militates against human dignity. Opposition to Western Culture The establishment of colonial rule in India was followed by a systematic attempt to disseminate colonial culture and ideology as the dominant cultural current. Faced with the challenge of the intrusion of colonial culture and ideology, an attempt to reinvigorate traditional institutions and to realize the potential of traditional culture developed during the 19th century. New awareness among enlightened Indians the impact of modern Western culture and consciousness of defeat by a foreign power gave birth to a new awakening. There was an awareness that a vast country like India had been colonized by a handful of foreigners because of weaknesses within the Indian social structure and culture. For some time it seemed that India had lagged behind in the race of civilization. This produced diverse reactions. Some English-educated Bengali youth developed a revulsion for Hindu religion and culture, gave up old religious ideas and traditions and deliberately adopted practices most offensive to Hindu sentiments, such as drinking wine and eating beef. The response, indeed, was varied but the need to reform social and religious life was a commonly shared conviction. During the last decades of the 19th century, the rising tide of nationalism and democracy also found expression in movements to reform and democratize the social institutions and religious outlook of the Indian people. Factors such as growth of nationalist sentiments, emergence of new economic forces, spread of education, impact of modern Western ideas and culture and increased awareness of the world strengthened the resolve to reform. The sociocultural regeneration of India of the 19th century was occasioned by the colonial presence, but not created by it. Social and Ideological Basis of Reform Middle Class Base The social base of the regeneration seen in the 19th century was the newly emerging middle class and the educated, both traditionally educated and the Western educated, intellectuals, but there was a significant contrast between the broadly middle class ideals derived from a growing awareness of contemporary developments in the West and a predominantly non-middle class social base. The 19th century intelligentsia searched for its model in the European middle class, which, as it learned through Western education, had brought about the great transformation in the West from medieval to modern times through movements like the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment and Democratic Revolution or Reform. However, the intelligentsia of 19th century India did not grow from trade or industry, which were firmly under the control of British agencies, their roots lay in government service or the professions of law, education, journalism or medicine, with which was often combined some connection with land in the form of the intermediate tenures. 
The intellectual criteria. What gave these reform movements an ideological unity were rationalism, religious universalism and humanism. Rationalism was brought to judge social relevance. Raja Ramohan Roy firmly believed in the principle of casuality linking the whole phenomenal universe and demonstrability as the sole criterion of truth. Akshay Kumar Dutt, while declaring that rationalism is our only preceptor, held that all natural and social phenomena could be analyzed and understood by purely mechanical processes. They thus used a rational approach to study tradition, they evaluated the contemporary socio-religious practices from the standpoint of social utility and to replace faith with rationality. As a consequence, in the Brahmo Samaj the infallibility of the Vedas was repudiated, while the Aligarh movement emphasized reconciliation of Islamic teachings with the needs of the modern age. Sayyid Ahmed Khan went to the extent of emphasizing that religious tenets were not immutable. Many of the intellectuals set aside the authority of religion and evaluated truth in any religion by the criteria of logic, reason or science. According to Swami Vivekananda, the same method of investigation which applies to sciences should be the basis on which religion must justify itself. Although some reformers tended to appeal to faith and ancient authority to support their appeal, on the whole, a rational and secular outlook was very much evident in putting forward an alternative to prevalent social practices. Akshay Kumar Dutt, for instance, brought medical opinion to support his views against child marriage. Reference to the past was to be used only as an aid and an instrument. Neither a revival of the past nor a total break with tradition was envisaged. Though the reformers tried to reform their religions, there was a universalistic aspect to their religious perspective. Raja Ramohan Roy considered different religions as national embodiments of universal theism. He defended the basic and universal principles of all religions, such as the monotheism of the Vedas and Unitarianism of Christianity, while attacking the polytheism of Hinduism and Trinitarianism of Christianity. Sayyid Ahmed Khan said that all prophets had the same din, faith, and every country and nation had different prophets. The social reformers used the universalist perspective to contend with the influence of religious identity on the social and political outlook of the people which was indeed strong. A new humanitarian morality was embodied in the social reform movements which included the notion that humanity can progress and has progressed and that moral values are ultimately those values which favor human progress. The humanist aspect of the religious reform movements was to be seen in the emphasis on the individual's right to interpret religious scriptures in the light of human reason and human welfare and in a general attack on priestly domination of religious practices. Religious reformation was an important but not the exclusive concern of these movements. Attention was focused on worldly existence and not on issues of salvation or other worldliness. Because of the strong religious element in social practices and the fact that religion was the dominant ideology of the times, 
it was not possible to undertake any social action without coming to grips with it. These movements took into their ambit the entire cultural existence, the way of life. The evolution of an alternative cultural ideological system and the regeneration of traditional institutions were two concerns of these movements. These concerns were manifest in the attempts to reconstruct traditional knowledge, the use and development of vernacular languages, creation of an alternative system of education, defense of religion, efforts to regenerate Indian art and literature, the emphasis on Indian dress and food, attempts to revitalize the Indian systems of medicine and to research the pre-colonial technology for its potential. Two streams. The reform movements could broadly be classified into two categories, the reformist movements like the Brahmo Samaj, the Prarthana Samaj, the Aligarh movement, and the revivalist movements like Arya Samaj and the Deoband movement. The reformist as well as the revivalist movement depended, to varying degrees, on an appeal to the lost purity of the religion they sought to reform. The only difference between one reform movement and the other lay in the degree to which it relied on tradition or on reason and conscience. Direction of Social Reform The humanistic ideals of social equality and the equal worth of all individuals which inspired the newly educated middle class influenced the field of social reform in a major way. The social reform movements were linked to the religious reforms primarily because nearly all social ills like untouchability and gender-based inequity derived legitimacy from religion in one way or the other. In later years, though, the social reform movement gradually dissociated itself from religion and adopted a secular approach. Moreover, earlier the reform movements had a rather narrow social base, being limited to the upper and middle classes and upper castes who tried to balance their modernized views and the existing social conditions. But later on, the social reform movements penetrated the lower strata of society to revolutionize and reconstruct the social sphere. In the beginning, organizations such as the Social Conference, Servants of India Society and the Christian missionaries were instrumental in social reform along with many enlightened individuals like Jyoti Bafule, Gopal Hari Deshmukh, K.T. Telang, B.M. Malabari, D.K. Karve, Sri Narayana Guru, E.V. Ramaswamy Nekar and B.R. Ambedkar. In later years, especially with the onset of the 20th century, the national movement provided the leadership and organization for social reform. To reach the masses, the reformers used the Indian languages to propagate their views. They used a variety of media, novels, dramas, poetry, short stories, the press and, in the 1930s and later on, the cinema to spread their opinions. Broadly, the social reform movements had a two-point agenda, fight for the betterment of status of women in society and fight to remove disabilities arising out of untouchability. Fight for betterment of position of women. The reformers had to work against great odds. Women were generally accorded a low status 
and were considered to be inferior agents to men with no identity of their own. They enjoyed no scope of giving expression to their talents as they were suppressed by practices such as parda, early marriage, ban on widow marriage, sati, etc. Both Hindu and Muslim women were economically and socially dependent on male relatives while education was generally denied to them. The Hindu women did not enjoy the right to inherit property or to terminate an undesirable marriage. Muslim women could inherit property but only half as much as men could, while in matters of divorce there was no equality between men and women. Polygamy was prevalent among Hindus as well as Muslims. Their glorification as wives and mothers was the only way in which society recognized the contribution of women as members of society. The improvement of the status of women in the society was considered to be vital and social reformers worked towards this since a radical change in the domestic sphere where initial socialization of the individual takes place and where a crucial role is played by women was the need of the hour. It was clearly understood that this change would translate into reformed homes and reformed men and that no country whose females were sunk in ignorance could ever make significant progress in civilization. The social reform movements, the freedom struggle, movements led by enlightened women themselves and, later, Free India's constitution have done much for the emancipation of women. The reformers basically appealed to the doctrines of individualism and equality and argued, to bolster their appeal, that true religion did not sanction an inferior status to women. They raised their voice against degrading customs such as polygamy, parda, child marriage, restrictions on widow marriage, and worked relentlessly to establish educational facilities for women to persuade the government to enact favorable legislations for women and in general to propagate the uselessness of medieval, feudal attitudes which required to be given up. Steps taken to ameliorate women's position Because of the indefatigable efforts of the reformers, a number of administrative measures were adopted by the government to improve the condition of women. Abolition of Sati Influenced by the frontal attack launched by the enlightened Indian reformers led by Raja Rammohan Roy, the government declared the practice of sati illegal and punishable by criminal courts as culpable homicide. The Regulation of 1829, Regulation 17, AD 1829 of the Bengal Code was applicable in the first instance to the Bengal Presidency alone, but was extended in slightly modified forms to Madras and Bombay presidencies in 1830. Preventing Female Infanticide The practice of murdering female infants immediately after their birth was a common practice among upper-class Bengalis and Rajputs who considered females to be an economic burden. The Bengal Regulations of 1795 and 1804 declared infanticide illegal and equivalent to murder. An act passed in 1870 made it compulsory for parents to register the birth of all babies and provided for verification of female children for some years after birth, 
particularly in areas where the custom was resorted to in utmost secrecy. Widow Remarriage The Brahmo Samaj had the issue of widow remarriage high on its agenda and did much to popularize it. But it was mainly due to the efforts of Pandit Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar, 1820-1991, the principal of Sanskrit College, Calcutta, that the Hindu Widows Remarriage Act, 1856, was passed, it legalized marriage of widows and declared issues from such marriages as legitimate. Vidyasagar cited Vedic texts to prove that the Hindu religion sanctioned widow remarriage. Jagannath Shankar Sath and Bhav Daji were among the active promoters of girls' schools in Maharashtra. Vishnu Shastri Pandit founded the Widow Remarriage Association in the 1850s. Another prominent worker in this field was Karsundas Mulji who started the Satya Prakash in Gujarati in 1852 to advocate widow remarriage. Similar efforts were made by Professor D.K. Karve in Western India and by Virsalingam Pantulu in Madras. Karve himself married a widow in 1893. He dedicated his life to the upliftment of Hindu widows and became the secretary of the Widow Remarriage Association. He opened a widow's home in Pune to give the high caste widows an interest in life by providing them with facilities for vocational training. The right of widows to remarriage was also advocated by B.M. Malabari, Narmad, Narmadashankar Labshankar Dev, Justice Govind Mahadeo Ranade and K. Natrajan among others. Controlling Child Marriage The Native Marriage Act or Civil Marriage Act 1872 signified legislative action in prohibiting child marriage. It had a limited impact as the act was not applicable to Hindus, Muslims and other recognized faiths. The relentless efforts of a Parsi reformer, B.M. Malabari, were rewarded by the enactment of the Age of Consent Act, 1891, which forbade the marriage of girls below the age of 12. The Sarda Act, 1930, further pushed up the marriage age to 18 and 14 for boys and girls, respectively. In Free India, the Child Marriage Restraint Amendment Act 1978 raised the age of marriage for girls from 15 to 18 years and for boys from 18 to 21. Education of Women the Christian missionaries were the first to set up the Calcutta Female Juvenile Society in 1819. The Buthunu School, founded by J.D. Buthunu, President of the Council of Education in Calcutta in 1849, was the first fruit of the powerful movement for women's education that arose in the 1840s and 1850s. Pandit Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar, was associated with no less than 35 girls' schools in Bengal and is considered one of the pioneers of women's education. Charles Wood's Dispatch on Education, 1854, laid great stress on the need for female education. In 1914, the Women's Medical Service did a lot of work in training nurses and midwives. The Indian Women's University set up by Professor D. K. Karve in 1916 was one of the outstanding institutions imparting education to women. 
in the same year Lady Hardinge Medical College was opened in Delhi. Health facilities began to be provided to women with the opening of Dufferin hospitals in the 1880s. Participation in the Swadeshi and anti-partition and the home rule movements during the opening decades of the 20th century was a major liberating experience for the otherwise home-centered Indian women. After 1918, they faced lathis and bullets and were jailed during political processions, picketing, etc. They actively participated in trade union and Kisan movements or revolutionary movements. They voted in, stood for and got elected to various legislatures and local bodies. Sarojini Naidu went on to become the president of the Indian National Congress, 1925, and later the governor of the United Provinces, 1947-1949. After 1920, aware and self-confident women led a women's movement. Many organizations and institutions such as the All India Women's Conference, established in 1927, came up. Women's Organizations In 1910, Sarla Devi Chaudhrani convened the first meeting of the Bharat's Three Mahamandal in Allahabad. Considered as the first major Indian women's organization set up by a woman, its objectives included promotion of education for women, abolition of the Pardah system and improvement in the socio-economic and political status of women all over India. Sarla Devi believed that the man working for women's upliftment lived under the shade of Manu. Ramabai Ranade founded the Ladies' Social Conference, Bharat Mahila Parishad, under the parent organization National Social Conference, in 1904 in Bombay. Pandita Ramabai Saraswati founded the Arya Mahila Samaj to serve the cause of women. She pleaded for improvement in the educational syllabus of Indian women before the English Education Commission which was referred to Queen Victoria. This resulted in medical education for women which started in Lady Dufferin College. Later Ramabai Ranade established a branch of Arya Mahila Samaj in Bombay. In 1925, the National Council of Women in India, a national branch of the International Council of Women, was formed. Mehrbai Tata played a vital role in its formation and advancement. She opined that the Pardah system, caste differences and lack of education prevented women from working to solve societal problems. Other women who held important positions on the executive committee of the council included Cornelia Sarabji, India's first lady barrister, Tarabai Premchand, wife of a wealthy banker, Shafi Tyabji, a member of one of Mumbai's leading Muslim families, and Maharani Sucharu Devi, daughter of Keshab Chandra Senator. However, according to critics, the philanthropic style that was being followed by these women was that of upper-class English women. The All India Women's Conference, AIWC, founded by Margaret Cousins in 1927, was perhaps the first women's organization with an egalitarian approach. Its first conference was held at Ferguson College, Pune. Important founding members included Maharani Chinnabai Gaikavad, 
रानी साहिबा ऑफ संगली सरोजिनी नायडू कमला देवी चट्टोपाध्याय एंड लेडी दोराब टाटा इट्स ऑब्जेक्टिव्स वर टू वर्क फॉर अ सोसाइटी बेस्ड ऑन प्रिंसिपल्स ऑफ सोशल जस्टिस इंटेग्रिटी इक्वल राइट्स एंड ऑपरचुनिटीज एंड टू सिक्योर फॉर एवरी ह्यूमन बीइंग द एसेंशियल्स ऑफ लाइफ नॉट डिटरमेंड बाय एक्सीडेंट ऑफ बर्थ और सेक्स बट बाय प्लान सोशल डिस्ट्रीब्यूशन फॉर दिस पर्पज The AIWC worked towards various legislative reforms before and after India's independence some examples being Sarda Act 1929 Hindu Women's Right to Property Act 1937 Factory Act 1947 Hindu Marriage and Divorce Act 1954 Special Marriage Act 1954 Hindu Minority and Guardianship Act 1956 Hindu Adoption and Maintenance Act 1956 The Suppression of Immoral Traffic in Women Act 1958 Maternity Benefits Act 1961 Dowry Prohibition Act 1961 and equal Remuneration Act 1958 1976 Struggle against caste based exploitation The later Vedic conception of fourfold division of Hindu society got further subdivided into numerous subcastes due to racial admixture, geographical expansion and diversification of crafts which gave rise to new vocations. The concept of Hindu Chaturvarnashrama dictated that the caste of a person determined the status and relative purity of different sections of population. It was caste that determined who could get education or ownership of landed property, the kind of profession one should pursue, whom one could dine with or marry, etc. In general, caste decides a person's social loyalties even before birth. The dress, food, place of residence, sources of water for drinking and irrigation, entry into temples, all these were regulated by the caste factor. The worst hit by the discriminatory institution of caste were the untouchables or the scheduled castes dalits as they came to be called later. The disabilities imposed on them were humiliating, inhuman and based on the principle of inequality by birth. Factors that helped to mitigate caste-based discrimination. British rule, perhaps without intention, created certain conditions that undermined caste consciousness to an extent. British rule in India unleashed certain forces sometimes through direct administrative measures and sometimes indirectly by creating suitable conditions though these measures had negative effects in one way they had a positive effect too for instance the creation of private property in land and free sale of land upset caste equations a close interlink between caste and vocation could not survive as village autarky crumbled besides modern commerce and industry gave rise to several economic avenues while growing urbanization and modern means of transport added to the mobility of populations the british administration introduced the concept of equality before law in a uniformly applied system of law which dealt a severe blow to social and legal inequalities while the judicial functions of caste panchayats were taken away the administrative services were made open to all castes 
and the new education system was on totally secular lines. The social reform movements also strove to undermine caste-based exploitation. From the mid-19th century onwards, numerous organizations and groups such as the Brahmo Samaj, Prarthana Samaj, Arya Samaj, Ramakrishna Mission, the Theosophists, the Social Conference and individuals worked to spread education among the untouchables and remove restrictions imposed on them from entering temples or using pawns, tanks, etc. Although many of them defended the Chaturvarn system, they criticized untouchability. The social reformers attacked the rigid hereditary basis of caste distinctions and the law of karma which formed the basis of the religio-philosophical defense of the undemocratic authoritarian caste institution. They called on people to work for betterment in the real world in which they lived, rather than strive for salvation after death. For instance, the Arya Samaj, while crusading against the disintegration of Hindu society into myriad subcastes, aimed at reconstructing it on the original fourfold division and upholding the right of even the lowest castes to study the scriptures. The national movement took inspiration from the principles of liberty and equality against the forces which tended to divide the society. The national leaders and organizations opposed caste privileges, fought for equal civic rights and free development of the individual. The caste divisions were diluted, although in a limited manner, because of mass participation in demonstrations, meetings and satyagraha struggles. The Congress governments in various provinces after 1937 did some useful work for the upliftment of the depressed classes, for instance, free education for Harijans, untouchables, was introduced in some provinces. The rulers of states like Travancore, Indore and Devas took the initiative in opening all state temples by proclamation. Gandhi always had in mind the objective of eradicating untouchability by root and branch. His ideas were based on the grounds of humanism and reason. He argued that the Shastras did not sanction untouchability and, even if they did, they should be ignored since truth cannot be confined within the covers of a book. In 1932, he founded the All India Harijan Sangh. With increasing opportunities of education and general awakening, there were stirrings among the lower castes themselves. This awakening gradually developed into a powerful movement in defense of their rights and against upper caste oppression. In Maharashtra, Jyotiba Phule, born in a low-caste Mali family, led a movement against the Brahmanical domination of Hindu society. He accorded the highest priority to education of lower castes, especially girls for whom he opened several schools. Baba Sahib Ambedkar, who had experienced the worst form of casteist discrimination during his childhood, fought against upper caste tyranny throughout his life. He organized the All India Scheduled Castes Federation, while several other leaders of the depressed classes founded the All India Depressed Classes Association. Ambedkar condemned the hierarchical and insular caste system as a whole and advocated the annihilation of the institution of caste for the real progress of the nation. 
The struggle of the depressed classes led to the provision of special representation for these classes in the Government of India Act, 1935. Others in the 1900s such as the Maharaja of Kolhapur encouraged the non-Brahman movement which spread to the southern states in the first decade of the 20th century and was joined by the Kamas, Reddis, Velalas, the powerful intermediate castes, and the Muslims. During the 1920s in South India, the non-Brahmans organized the self-respect movement led by E. B. Ramaswamy Nekar. There were numerous other movements demanding that the ban on the entry of lower castes into temples be lifted. Sri Narayana Guru in Kerala led a lifelong struggle against upper caste domination. He coined the slogan One Religion, One Caste, One God for Mankind, which his disciple Sahdaran Ayyappan changed into No Religion, No Caste, No God for Mankind. Dr. Bhimrao Ambedkar led the Mahad Satyagraha in March 1927 to challenge the regressive customs of the caste Hindus. He stressed the necessity of removing ideas of high and low and inculcating self-elevation through self-help, self-respect and self-knowledge. He led a procession of some 2,500 untouchables through the town of Mahad to the Chavdar tank, a public source of water from which the untouchables were not allowed to draw water. Dr. Ambedkar took water from the tank and drank it. There were huge protests by caste Hindus. Later in December 1927, Ambedkar and his colleagues burnt the Manusmriti at the same place as a gesture of getting rid of inequalities. Dr. Ambedkar established the Bahishkrit Hitkarini Sabha in 1924 to highlight the difficulties and grievances of the Dalits before the government. Its motto was Educate, Agitate and Organize. The constitution of Free India has made equality and non-discrimination on basis of caste imperative. The struggle against caste discrimination could not be successful during the British rule. The foreign government had its limitations, it could not afford to invite hostile reaction from the orthodox sections by taking up any radical measures. Also, no social uplift was possible without economic and political upliftment. All this could be realized only under the government of a free India. The constitution of free India abolishes untouchability, and declares the endorsement of any disability arising out of untouchability as unlawful. It also forbids any restriction on access to wells, tanks, bathing guards, hotels, cinemas, clubs, etc. In one of the directive principles, the constitution has laid down that the state shall strive to promote the welfare of the people by securing and protecting as effectively as it may a social order in which justice, social, economic and political shall inform all the institutions of the national life. Sociocultural Reform Movements and Their Leaders Raja Ram Mohan Roy and Brahmo Samaj Raja Ram Mohan Roy, 1772-1833, often called the father of Indian Renaissance and the maker of modern India, was a man of versatile genius. 
Ram Mohan Roy believed in the modern scientific approach and principles of human dignity and social equality. He put his faith in monotheism. He wrote Gift to Monotheists, 1809, and translated into Bengali The Vedas and the Five Upanishads to prove his conviction that ancient Hindu texts support monotheism. In 1814, he set up the Atmi Sabha, or Society of Friends, in Calcutta to propagate the monotheistic ideals of the Vedanta and to campaign against idolatry, caste rigidities, meaningless rituals and other social ills. Strongly influenced by rationalist ideas, he declared that Vedanta is based on reason and that, if reason demanded it, even a departure from the scriptures is justified. He said the principles of rationalism applied to other sects also, particularly to the elements of blind faith in them. In his Precepts of Jesus, 1820, he tried to separate the moral and philosophical message of the New Testament, which he praised, from its miracle stories. He earned the wrath of missionaries over his advocacy to incorporate the message of Christ into Hinduism. He stood for a creative and intellectual process of selecting the best from different cultures, over which, again, he faced orthodox reaction. Raja Ram Mohan Roy founded the Brahmo Sabha in August 1828. It was later renamed Brahmo Samaj. Through the Sabha, he wanted to institutionalize his ideas and mission. The Samaj was committed to the worship and adoration of the eternal, unsearchable, immutable being who is the author and preserver of the universe. Prayers, meditation and readings of the Upanishads were to be the forms of worship and no graven image, statue or sculpture, carving, painting, picture, portrait, etc. were to be allowed in the Samaj buildings, thus underlining the Samaj's opposition to idolatry and meaningless rituals. The long-term agenda of the Brahmo Samaj to purify Hinduism and to preach monotheism was based on the twin pillars of reason and the Vedas and Upanishads. The Samaj also tried to incorporate teachings of other religions and kept its emphasis on human dignity, opposition to idolatry and criticism of social evils such as Sati. Ram Mohan Roy did not want to establish a new religion. He only wanted to purify Hinduism of the evil practices which had crept into it. Roy's progressive ideas met with strong opposition from orthodox elements like Raja Radhakant Deb who organized the Dharma Sabha to counter Brahmo Samaj propaganda. Roy's death in 1833 was a setback for the Samaj's mission. As per historian Raja Ram Mohan Roy, and his Brahmo Samaj formed the starting point for all the various reform movements, whether in Hindu religion, society or politics, which have agitated modern India. The features of Brahmo Samaj may be summed thus. It denounced polytheism and idol worship. It discarded faith in divine avatars, incarnations. It denied that any scripture could enjoy the status of ultimate authority transcending human reason and conscience. It took no definite stand on the doctrine of karma and transmigration of soul and left it to individual Brahmos to believe either way. It criticized the caste system. 
his ideas and activities were also aimed at political uplift of the masses through social reform and, to that extent, can be said to have had nationalist undertones. Raja Ram Mohan Roy's Efforts at Social Reform Ram Mohan was a determined crusader against the inhuman practice of sati. He started his anti-sati struggle in 1818 and he cited sacred texts to prove his contention that no religion sanctioned the burning alive of widows besides appealing to humanity, reason and compassion. He also visited the cremation grounds, organized vigilance groups and filed counter-petitions to the government during his struggle against Sati. His efforts were rewarded by the government regulation in 1829 which declared the practice of Sati a crime. As a campaigner for women's rights, Roy condemned the general subjugation of women and opposed prevailing misconceptions which formed the basis of an inferior social status to women. Roy attacked polygamy and the degraded state of widows and demanded the right of inheritance and property for women. Ram Mohan Roy did much to disseminate the benefits of modern education to his countrymen. He supported David Hare's efforts to found the Hindu College in 1817, while Roy's English school taught mechanics and Voltaire's philosophy. In 1825, he established a Vedanta college where courses in both Indian learning and Western social and physical sciences were offered. He also helped enrich the Bengali language by compiling a Bengali grammar book and evolving a modern elegant prose style. In the words of Raja Ram Mohan Roy, I regret to say that the present system of religion adhered to by the Hindus is not well calculated to promote their political interests. It is, I think, necessary that some change should take place in their religion at least for the sake of their political advantage and social comfort. Ram Mohan was a gifted linguist. He knew more than a dozen languages including Sanskrit, Persian, Arabic, English, French, Latin, Greek and Hebrew. A knowledge of different languages helped him broad-base his range of study. As a bold supporter of freedom of the press and as a pioneer in Indian journalism, Roy brought out journals in Bengali, Hindi, English, Persian to educate and inform the public and represent their grievances before the government. As a political activist, Roy condemned oppressive practices of Bengali zamindars and demanded fixation of maximum rents. He also demanded abolition of taxes on tax-free lands. He called for a reduction of export duties on Indian goods abroad and abolition of the East India Company's trading rights. He demanded the Indianization of superior services and separation of the executive from the judiciary. He demanded judicial equality between Indians and Europeans and that the trial be held by jury. Ram Mohan was an internationalist with a vision beyond his times. He stood for cooperation of thought and activity and brotherhood among nations. His understanding of the universal character of the principles of liberty equality and justice indicated that he well understood the significance of the modern age.
He supported the revolutions of Naples and Spanish America and condemned the oppression of Ireland by absentee English landlordism and threatened emigration from the empire if the reform bill was not passed. Roy had David Hare, Alexander Duff, Devendranath Tagore, P.K. Tagore, Chandrasekhar Deb and Tarachand Chakraborty as his associates. Devendranath Tagore and Brahmo Samaj Marharishi Devendranath Tagore, 1817-1905, father of Rabindranath Tagore and a product of the best in traditional Indian learning and Western thought, gave a new life to Brahmo Samaj and a definite form and shape to the theist movement when he joined the Samaj in 1842. Earlier, Tagore headed the Tattvabodhini Sabha, founded in 1839, which, along with its organ Tattvabodhini Patrika in Bengali, was devoted to the systematic study of India's past with a rational outlook and to the propagation of Ram Mohan's ideas. A new vitality and strength of membership came to be associated with the Brahmo Samaj due to the informal association of the two Sabhas. Gradually, the Brahmo Samaj came to include prominent followers of Ram Mohan, the Derosians and independent thinkers such as Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar and Ashwini Kumar Datta. Tagore worked on two fronts, within Hinduism, the Brahmo Samaj was a reformist movement outside, it resolutely opposed the Christian missionaries for their criticism of Hinduism and their attempts at conversion. The revitalized Samaj supported widow remarriage, women's education, abolition of polygamy, improvement in riots conditions and temperance. Keshab Chandra Sen and the Brahmo Samaj The Brahmo Samaj experienced another phase of energy when Keshab Chandra Sen, 1838-1884, was made the Acharya by Devendranath Tagore soon after the former joined the Samaj in 1858. Keshab, also spelt Keshab, was instrumental in popularizing the movement and branches of the Samaj were opened outside Bengal in the United Provinces, Punjab, Bombay, Madras and other towns. Unfortunately, Devendranath did not like some of Sen's ideas which he found too radical, such as cosmopolitanization of the Samaj's meetings by inclusion of teachings from all religions and his strong views against the caste system, even open support to inter-caste marriages. Keshab Chandra Sen was dismissed from the office of Acharya in 1865. Keshab and his followers founded the Brahmo Samaj of India in 1866, while Devendranath Tagore's Samaj came to be known as the Adi Brahmo Samaj. In words of Keshab Chandra Sen, Whoever worships the true God daily must learn to recognize all his fellow countrymen as brethren. In 1878, Keshab's inexplicable act of getting his 13-year-old daughter married to the minor Hindu Maharaja of Kuchbehar with all the orthodox Hindu rituals caused another split in Keshab's Brahmo Samaj of India. Earlier, Keshab had begun to be considered as an incarnation by some of his followers, much to the dislike of his progressive followers. Further, Keshab had begun to be accused of authoritarianism. After 1878, the disgusted followers of Keshab set up a new organization, 
द साधारण ब्रह्मो समाज द साधारण ब्रह्मो समाज वॉज स्टार्टेड बाय आनंदा मोहन बोस शिवचंद्र डेब एंड उमेश चंद्रा दत्ता इट रीटरेटेड द ब्रह्मो डॉक्ट्रिंस ऑफ फेथ इन अ सुप्रीम बीइंग वन गॉड द बिलीफ दैट नो स्क्रिप्चर और मैन इज इनफेलेबल बिलीफ इन द डिक्टेट्स ऑफ रीजन ट्रूथ एंड मॉरलिटी a number of brahmo centers were opened in madras province in punjab the dayal singh trust sought to implant brahmo ideas by the opening of dayal singh college at lahore in 1910 significance of the brahmo samaj in matters of social reform the samaj attacked many dogmas and superstitions it condemned the prevailing hindu prejudice against going abroad it worked for a respectable status for women in society condemned sati worked for abolition of parda system discouraged child marriage and polygamy crusaded for widow remarriage and for provisions of educational facilities it also attacked casteism and untouchability though in these matters it attained only limited success the influence of the brahmo samaj however did not go much beyond calcutta and at most bengal it did not have a lasting impact prarthana samaj in 1867 keshab chandra sen helped atmaram pandurang found the prarthana samaj in bombay earlier the brahmo ideas spread in maharashtra a precursor of the prarthana samaj was the parmehsa sabha something like a secret society to spread liberal ideas and encourage the breakdown of caste and communal barriers mahadev govind ranade 1842 to 1901 joined the samaj in 1870 and much of the popularity of and work done by the society was due to his efforts his efforts made the samaj gain an all india character other leaders of the samaj were rg bhandarkar 1837 to 1925 and NG Chandavarkar 1855 to 1923 the emphasis was on monotheism but on the whole the samaj was more concerned with social reforms than with religion the prarthana sabha was very attached to the bhakti cult of maharashtra the samaj relied on education and persuasion and not on confrontation with hindu orthodoxy There was a four-point social agenda also. Disapproval of caste system, women's education, widow remarriage and raising the age of marriage for both males and females. Dhondo Keshav Karve and Vishnu Shastri were champions of social reform with Ranade. Along with Karve, Ranade founded the widow remarriage movement as well as widows home association with the aim of providing education and training to widows so that they could support themselves. Young Bengal movement and Henry Vivian De Rosio during the late 1820s and early 1830 as there emerged a radical intellectual trend among the youth in Bengal which came to be known as the Young Bengal movement. A young Anglo-Indian, Henry Vivian De Rosio, 1809 to 1931, who taught at the Hindu College from 1826 to 1831, was the leader and inspirer of this progressive trend. Drawing inspiration from the Great French Revolution, 
Derozio inspired his pupils to think freely and rationally, question all authority, love liberty, equality and freedom, and oppose decadent customs and traditions. The Derozians also supported women's rights and education. Also, Derozio was perhaps the first nationalist poet of modern India. The Derozians, however, failed to have a long-term impact. Derozio was removed from the Hindu college in 1831 because of his radicalism. The main reason for their limited success was the prevailing social conditions at that time, which were not ripe for the adoption of radical ideas. Further, there was no support from any other social group or class. The Derosians lacked any real link with the masses, for instance, they failed to take up the peasants' cause. In fact, their radicalism was bookish in character. But despite their limitations, the Derosians carried forward Ram Mohan Roy's tradition of public education on social, economic and political questions. For instance, they demanded induction of Indians in higher grades of services, protection of riots from oppressive zamindars, better treatment to Indian labour abroad in British colonies, revision of the company's charter, freedom of press and trial by jury. Later, Surendranath Banarjia was to describe the Derosians as the pioneers of the modern civilization of Bengal, the conscript fathers of our race whose virtues will excite veneration and whose failings will be treated with gentlest consideration. Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar the great scholar and reformer, Vidyasagar's ideas were a happy blend of Indian and Western thought. He believed in high moral values, was a deep humanist and was generous to the poor. In 1850, he became the principal of Sanskrit college. He was determined to break the priestly monopoly of scriptural knowledge and for this he opened the Sanskrit college to non-Brahmans. He introduced Western thought in Sanskrit college to break the self-imposed isolation of Sanskritic learning. As an academician, he evolved a new methodology to teach Sanskrit. He also devised a new Bengali primer and evolved a new prose style. Vidyasagar started a movement in support of widow remarriage, which resulted in legislation of widow remarriage. He was also a crusader against child marriage and polygamy. He did much for the cause of women's education. As government inspector of schools, he helped organize 35 girls' schools, many of which he ran at his own expense. As secretary of Bhutunu School, established in 1849, he was one of the pioneers of higher education for women in India. The Bhutunu School, founded in Calcutta, was the result of the powerful movement for women's education that arose in the 1840s and 1850s. The movement had to face great difficulties. The young students were shouted at and abused and, sometimes, even their parents subjected to social boycott. Many believed that girls who had received Western education would make slaves of their husbands. Balshastri Jambhekar Balshastri Jambhekar 1812 to 1846 
was a pioneer of social reform through journalism in Bombay. He attacked Brahmanical orthodoxy and tried to reform popular Hinduism. He started the newspaper Darpan in 1832. Known as the father of Marathi journalism, Jambhekar used the Darpan to awaken the people to awareness of social reforms such as widow remarriage and to instill in the masses a scientific approach to life. In 1840, he started Dikdarshan which published articles on scientific subjects as well as history. Jambhekar founded the Bombay Native General Library and started the Native Improvement Society of which an offshoot was the Students Literary and Scientific Library. He was the first professor of Hindi at the Elphinstone College besides being a director of the Kolaba Observatory. Parmehesa Mandali founded in 1849 in Maharashtra the founders of the Parmehesa Mandali Dadoba Pandurang Mahataji Durgaram and others began as a secret society that worked to reform Hindu religion and society in general the ideology of the society was closely linked to that of the Manav Dharma Sabha besides believing that one god should be worshiped The society also said real religion is based on love and moral conduct. Freedom of thought was encouraged as was rationality. The founders of the mandali were primarily interested in breaking caste rules. At their meetings, food cooked by lower caste people was taken by the members. These mandalis also advocated widow remarriage and women's education. Branches of Parmehesa Mandali existed in Pune, Satara and other towns of Maharashtra. Satyashodhak Samaj and Jyotiba or Jyotirao Phule. Jyotiba Phule 1827 to 1890 born in Satara, Maharashtra belonged to the Mali Gardner community and organized a powerful movement against upper caste domination and brahminical supremacy. Phule founded the Satyashodhak Samaj Truth Seekers Society in 1873 with the leadership of the samaj coming from the backward classes Malis Telis Kumbis Saris and Dhangars The main aims of the movement were social service and spread of education among women and lower caste people Phule's works Sarvajanik Satya Dharma and Gulamgiri became sources of inspiration for the common masses Phule used the symbol of Raja Bali as opposed to the Brahmans symbol of Rama. Phule aimed at the complete abolition of the caste system and socio-economic inequalities. He was against Sanskritic Hinduism. This movement gave a sense of identity to the depressed communities as a class against those Brahmans who used religion and the blind faith of the masses to exploit the masses for personal monetary gain. Phule, a firm believer in gender equality, was a pioneer in women's education. He with the help of his wife, Savitribai, opened a girls' school at Pune. He was a pioneer of widow remarriage movement in Maharashtra and also opened a home for widows in 1854. Phule was awarded the title Mahatma for his social reform work. Gopalhari Deshmukh Lokahitawadi Gopal Hari Deshmukh 1823 to 1892 was a social reformer and rationalist from Maharashtra. 
He held the post of a judge under British Raj, but wrote for a weekly Prabhakar under the pen name of Lokahitawadi on social reform issues. He advocated a reorganization of Indian society on rational principles and modern, humanistic, secular values. He attacked Hindu orthodoxy and supported social and religious equality. He wrote against the evils of the caste system. He said, if religion does not sanction social reform, then change religion. He started a weekly, Hitechu, and also played a leading role in founding the periodicals, Gyan Prakash, Hindu Prakash and Loka Hitavadi. Gopal Ganesh Agarkar Gopal Ganesh Agarkar (1856–1895) was an educationist and social reformer from Maharashtra. A strong advocate of the power of human reason, he criticized the blind dependence on tradition and false glorification of the past. He was a co-founder of the New English School, the Deccan Education Society and Ferguson College. He was a principal of Ferguson College. He was also the first editor of Kesri, the journal started by Lokmanya Tilak. Later, he started his own periodical, Sudharak, which spoke against untouchability and the caste system. The Servants of India Society Gopal Krishna Gokhale, 1866-1915, a liberal leader of the Indian National Congress, founded the Servants of India Society in 1905 with the help of M.G. Ranade. The aim of the society was to train national missionaries for the service of India to promote, by all constitutional means, the true interests of the Indian people and to prepare a cadre of selfless workers who were to devote their lives to the cause of the country in a religious spirit. In 1911, the Hitwara began to be published to project the views of the society. The society chose to remain aloof from political activities and organizations like the Indian National Congress. After Gokhale's death, 1915, Srinivasa Shastri took over as president. The society still continues to function, though with a shrunken base, at many places in India. It works in the field of education, providing ashram type of schools for tribal girls and balwadis at many places. Social Service Lead A follower of Gokhale, Narayan Malhar Joshi founded the Social Service League in Bombay with an aim to secure for the masses better and reasonable conditions of life and work. They organized many schools, libraries, reading rooms, day nurseries and cooperative societies. Their activities also included police court agents' work, legal aid and advice to the poor and illiterate, excursions for slum dwellers, facilities for gymnasia and theatrical performances, sanitary work, medical relief and boys' clubs and scout corps. Joshi also founded the All India Trade Union Congress, 1920. The Ramakrishna Movement and Swami Vivekananda the didactic nationalism of the Brahmo Samaj appealed more to the intellectual elite in Bengal, while the average Bengali found more emotional satisfaction in the cult of bhakti and yoga. The teachings of Ramakrishna Parmahamsa 1836 to 1886 
a poor priest at the Kali temple in Dakshineswar on the outskirts of Calcutta who was known in childhood as Gadadhar Chattopadhyay found many followers Ramakrishna experienced spiritual trances ecstasy from a very early age He is considered to have attained the highest spiritual experience available to Hindus He did not write books but his conversations with people formed the basis of what were considered his teachings He spoke simply in the form of parables and metaphors drawn from the observation of ordinary life and nature but what he said was of universal relevance two objectives of the ramakrishna movement were to bring into existence a band of monks dedicated to a life of renunciation and practical spirituality from among whom teachers and workers would be sent out to spread the universal message of vedanta as illustrated in the life of ramakrishna and in conjunction with lay disciples to carry on preaching philanthropic and charitable works looking upon all men women and children irrespective of caste creed or color as veritable manifestations of the divine parmahamsa himself laid the foundations of the ramakrishna math with his young monastic disciples as a nucleus to fulfill the first objective the second objective was taken up by swami vivekananda after ramakrishna's death when he founded the ramakrishna mission in 1897 The headquarters of the Ramakrishna Math and Mission are at Belur near Calcutta. The two are twin organizations though legally and financially separate. Parmahamsa sought salvation through traditional ways of renunciation, meditation and bhakti amidst increasing westernization and modernization. He recognized the fundamental oneness of all religions and emphasized that Krishna, Hari, Ram Christ Allah are different names for the same God and that there are many ways to God and salvation as many faiths so many paths Parmahamsa's spirituality and compassion for the suffering humanity inspired those who listened to him He used to say service of man is the service of God Incidentally Ramakrishna was married to Sardamani Mukherjee later known as Sarada Devi Ramakrishna considered Sarada as the embodiment of the divine mother It was as holy mother that the disciples also knew her as She played an important role in the work of math and encouraging the young disciples in their mission Swami Vivekananda Narendranath Datta 1862 to 1902 who later came to be known as Swami Vivekananda spread Ramakrishna's message and tried to reconcile it to the needs of contemporary Indian society he emerged as the preacher of neo-hinduism certain spiritual experiences of ramakrishna the teachings of the upanishads and the gita and the examples of the buddha and jesus are the basis of vivekananda's message to the world about human values He subscribed to the Vedanta which he considered a fully rational system with a superior approach. His mission was to bridge the gulf between parmartha service and vyavhara behavior and between spirituality and day-to-day life. Vivekananda believed in the fundamental oneness of God and said 
for our own motherland a junction of the two great systems hinduism and islam is the only hope emphasis in social action he declared that knowledge without action is useless he lamented the isolationist tendencies and the touch me not attitude of hindus in religious matters he frowned at religion's tacit approval of the oppression of the poor by the rich he believed that it was an insult to god and humanity to teach religion to a starving man he pointed out that the masses needed to kinds of knowledge secular knowledge about how to work for their economic uplift and spiritual knowledge to have faith in themselves and strengthen their moral sense he called upon his countrymen to imbibe a spirit of liberty equality and free thinking views of swami vivekananda no other religion preaches the dignity of humanity in such a lofty strain as hinduism and no other religion on earth treads upon the poor and the low in such a fashion as hinduism a country where millions have nothing to eat and where few thousand holy men and brahmans suck the blood of the poor and do nothing at all for them is not a country but a living hell is this religion or a dance of death forget not that the lower classes the ignorant the poor the illiterate the cobbler the sweeper are thy flesh and blood thy brothers at the parliament of religions held at chicago in 1893 swami vivekananda made a great impression on people by his learned interpretations the keynote of his opening address was the need for a healthy balance between spiritualism and materialism envisaging a new culture for the whole world he called for a blend of the materialism of the west and the spiritualism of the east into a new harmony to produce happiness for mankind vivekananda gave several lectures on vedanta in the usa and in london before returning to india in 1897 In India he delivered a series of lectures the focus of which were to infuse into the new generation a sense of pride in India's past a new faith in India's culture and a rare sense of confidence in India's future to bring about a unification of Hinduism by pointing out the common foundation of its sects to make the educated people see the misery of the downtrodden and work for their uplift by the application of practical vedanta principles his emphasis was not only on personal salvation but also on social good and reform in 1897 he founded the ramakrishna mission vivekananda was a great humanist and used the ramakrishna mission for humanitarian relief and social work The mission stands for religious and social reform. Vivekananda advocated the doctrine of service, the service of all beings. The service of jiva, living objects, is the worship of Shiva. Life itself is religion. By service, the divine exists within man. Vivekananda was for using technology and modern science in the service of mankind. In word of Subhash Chandra Bose so far as Bengal is concerned Vivekananda may be regarded as the spiritual father of the modern nationalist movement Ever since its inception 
the mission has been running a number of schools, hospitals, dispensaries. It offers help to the afflicted in times of natural calamities like earthquakes, famines, floods and epidemics. The mission has developed into a worldwide organization. It is a deeply religious body, but it is not a proselytizing body. It does not consider itself to be a sect of Hinduism. In fact, this is one of the strong reasons for the success of the mission. Unlike the Arya Samaj, the mission recognizes the utility and value of image worship in developing spiritual fervor and worship of the eternal omnipotent God, although it emphasizes on the essential spirit and not the symbols or rituals. It believes that the philosophy of Vedanta will make a Christian a better Christian and a Hindu a better Hindu. It was in 1898 that Swami Vivekananda acquired a large piece of land at Belur where the Ramakrishna math was finally shifted and registered as such. The monastic order is open to all men without discrimination on the basis of caste or creed. Dayananda Saraswati and Arya Samaj The Arya Samaj movement, revivalist in form though not in content, was the result of a reaction to Western influences. Its founder, Dayananda Saraswati or Mulshankar, 1824-1883, was born in the old Morvi state in Gujarat in a Brahman family. He wandered as an ascetic for 15 years, 1845-1960, in search of truth. The first Arya Samaj unit was formally set up by him at Bombay in 1875 and later the headquarters of the Samaj were established at Lahore. Dayananda's views were published in his famous work, Satyarth Prakash, The True Exposition. His vision of India included a classless and casteless society, a united India religiously, socially and nationally, and an India free from foreign rule, with Aryan religion being the common religion of all. He took inspiration from the Vedas and considered them to be India's rock of ages, the infallible and the true original seed of Hinduism. He gave the slogan back to the Vedas. Dayananda's slogan of back to the Vedas was a call for a revival of Vedic learning and Vedic purity of religion and not a revival of Vedic times. He accepted modernity and displayed a patriotic attitude to national problems. Dayananda had received education on Vedanta from a blind teacher named Swami Virjananda in Mathura. Along with his emphasis on Vedic authority, he stressed the significance of individual interpretation of the scriptures and said that every person has the right of access to God. He criticized later Hindu scriptures such as the Puranas and the ignorant priests for perverting Hinduism. Dayananda strongly criticized the escapist Hindu belief in Maya, illusion, as the running theme of all physical existence and the aim of human life as a struggle to attain moksha, salvation, through escape from this evil world to seek union with God. Instead, he advocated that God, soul and matter, prakriti, were distinct and eternal entities and every individual had to work out his own salvation in the light of the eternal principles governing human conduct.
Thus, he attacked the prevalent popular belief that every individual contributed and got back from society according to the principles of Niyathi, destiny. Dayananda believed in the theory of karma and reincarnation. But he also said the good deeds should be primarily for the good of others and not for self. Dayananda launched a frontal attack on Hindu orthodoxy, caste rigidities, untouchability, idolatry, polytheism, belief in magic, charms and animal sacrifices, taboo on sea voyages, feeding the dead through shraddhas, etc. Dayananda subscribed to the Vedic notion of Chaturvarn system in which a person was identified as a Brahman, Kshatri, Vaishya or Shudra not by birth but according to the occupation and merit of the person. The Arya Samaj fixed the minimum marriageable age at 25 years for boys and 16 years for girls. Swami Dayananda once lamented the Hindu race as the children of children. The ten guiding principles of the Arya Samaj are God is the primary source of all true knowledge. God as all truth, all knowledge, almighty, immortal, creator of universe, is alone worthy of worship. The Vedas are the books of true knowledge. An Arya should always be ready to accept truth and abandon untruth. Dharma, that is, due consideration of right and wrong, should be the guiding principle of all actions. The principal aim of the Samaj is to promote world's well-being in the material, spiritual and social sense. Everybody should be treated with love and justice. Ignorance is to be dispelled and knowledge increased. One's own progress should depend on uplift of all others. The social well-being of mankind is to be placed above an individual's well-being. The Arya Samaj's social ideals comprise, among others, the fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man, equality of the sexes, absolute justice and fair play between man and man and nation and nation. Intercaste marriages and widow remarriages were also encouraged. Dayananda also met other reformers of the time, Keshab Chandra Sen, Ishwar Chandra Vidyasagar, Ranade, Deshmukh, etc. The Arya Samaj came to be known for the social service it rendered in times of calamities such as earthquake, famine and floods. It also took initiative in promoting education. After the death of Dayananda in 1883, the work of the Samaj was carried on by illustrious members. Education was an all-important field for the Samaj. The Dayanand Anglo-Vedic DAV, College was established in 1886 at Lahore. But a difference of opinion between two groups in the Samaj arose over the curriculum of the DAV College. One group was known as the College Party, some sources say Culture Party, among whose leaders were Lala Hansraj, Lala Lal Chand and Lala Lajpat Rai, and the other was the Mahatma, later Gurukul, party led by Guru Datta Vidyarthi and Lala Mushiram, who later came to be known as Swami Shraddhanan. While the college party favoured the government curriculum and English education to meet economic and professional needs, the Mahatma party was interested in introducing the study of Sanskrit and Vedic philosophy in the tradition of ancient Gurukuls. Later, the issue of vegetarianism also became a point of contention 
the college party had nothing against non-vegetarianism, claiming that diet was a personal choice and it was not mentioned in the principles of the Samaj, the Mahatma party was in favor of all the Aryas being strict vegetarians. In the end, the Arya Samaj split in 1893 over these issues. The college party retained control over the DAV school and college, while the Arya Pratinidhi Sabha, Punjab and a majority of the local Arya Samaj branches were taken over by the Mahatma party. Swami Shraddhanand opened the Gurukul in 1900 at Guzramwala, in West Punjab, now in Pakistan. In 1902, the Gurukul was moved to Kangari near Haridwar, hence the name Gurukul Kangari. The Gurukul aimed at providing an indigenous alternative to Lord Macaulay's education policy by offering education in the areas of Vedic literature, Indian philosophy, Indian culture as well as modern sciences and research. The Gurukul believed in radical social reform. It founded the Kanya Mahavidyalaya at Jalandhar in 1896 and sponsored education for widows. The Arya Samaj was able to give self-respect and self-confidence to the Hindus which helped to undermine the myth of superiority of whites and the Western culture. In its zeal to protect the Hindu society from the onslaught of Christianity and Islam, the Samaj started the Shuddhi, Purification, movement to reconvert to the Hindu fold the converts to Christianity and Islam. An aggressive campaign of Shuddhi led to increasing communalization of social life during the 1920s and later snowballed into communal political consciousness. The Shuddhi movement also attempted to uplift those regarded as untouchables and outside the caste system of Hindus into pure caste Hindus. Seva Sadan a Parsi social reformer, Behramji M. Malabari, 1853-1912, founded the Seva Sadhan in 1908 along with a friend, Divan Dayaram Gidumal. Malabari spoke vigorously against child marriage and for widow remarriage among Hindus. It was his efforts that led to the Age of Consent Act regulating the Age of Consent for Females, Seva Sadan specialized in taking care of those women who were exploited and then discarded by society. It catered to all castes and provided the destitute women with education and medical and welfare services. Behramji Malabari acquired and edited the Indian Spectator. Dev Samaj, founded in 1887 at Lahore by Shiv Narayan Agnihotri, 1850-1927, earlier a Brahmo follower, Dev Sadhan is a religious and social reform society. The society emphasized on the eternity of the soul, the supremacy of the Guru and the need for good action. It called for ideal social behavior such as not accepting bribes, avoiding intoxicants and non-vegetarian food, and keeping away from violent actions. Its teachings were compiled in a book, Deva Shastra. Agnihotri spoke against child marriage. Dharma Sabha Radhakant Deb founded this Sabha in 1830. An orthodox society, it stood for the preservation of the status quo in socio-religious matters, opposing even the abolition of Sati. 
However, it favored the promotion of Western education even for girls. Bharat Dharma Mahamandal In All India Organization of the Orthodox Educated Hindus, it stood for a defense of Orthodox Hinduism against the teachings of the Arya Samajists, the Theosophists, and the Ramakrishna Mission. Other organizations created to defend Orthodox Hinduism were the Sanatna Dharma Sabha, 1895, the Dharma Mahaparishad in South India, and Dharma Mahamandali in Bengal. These organizations combined in 1902 to form the single organization of Bharat Dharma Mahamandal, with headquarters at Varanasi. This organization sought to introduce proper management of Hindu religious institutions, open Hindu educational institutions, etc. Pandit Madan Mohan Malviya was a prominent figure in this movement. Radha Swami Movement Tulsi Ram, a banker from Agra, also known as Shiv Dayal Sahib, founded this movement in 1861. The Radha Swamis believe in one supreme being, supremacy of the Guru, a company of pious people, satsang, and a simple social life. Spiritual attainment, they believe, does not call for renunciation of the worldly life. They consider all religions to be true. While the sect has no belief in temples, shrines and sacred places, it considers as necessary duties, works of faith and charity, service and prayer. Sri Narayana Guru Dharma Pariplana SNDP, Movement the SNDP movement was an example of a regional movement born out of conflict between the depressed classes and upper castes. It was started by Sri Narayana Guruswami, 1856-1928, among the Ajvas of Kerala, who were a backward caste of toddy tappers and were considered to be untouchables, denied education and entry into temples. The Ajvas were the single largest caste group in Kerala constituting 26% of the total population. Narayana Guru, himself from the Ajava caste, took a stone from the Nair River and installed it as a Shivalinga at Aruvitpuram on Shivratri in 1888. It was intended to show that consecration of an idol was not the monopoly of the higher castes. With this he began a revolution that soon led to the removal of many discriminations in Kerala's society. The movement, Aruvipuram movement, drew the famous poet Kumaran Asan as a disciple of Narayana Guru. In 1889, the Aruvipuram Kshetra Yogam was formed which was decided to expand into a big organization to help the Ajvas to progress materially as well as spiritually. Thus the Aruvipuram Sri Narayana Guru Dharma Pariplana Yogam, in short SNDP, was registered in 1903 under the Indian Companies Act, with Narayana Guru as its permanent chairman and Kumaran Asan as the general secretary. In the formation of SNDP, the efforts of Dr. Palpu must be acknowledged. He had started the fight for social justice through movements like Ajava Memorial, Malayali Memorial, etc. Sri Narayana Guru held all religions to be the same and condemned animal sacrifice besides speaking against divisiveness on the basis of caste, race or creed. On the wall of the Aruvitpuram temple he has inscribed the words, 
devoid of dividing walls of caste or race, or hatred of rival faith, we all live here in brotherhood. He urged the Ajvas to leave the toddy tapping profession and even to stop drinking liquor. The SNDP Yogam took up several issues for the Ajvas, such as right of admission to public schools, recruitment to government services, access to roads and entry to temples, and political representation. The movement as a whole brought transformative structural changes such as upward social mobility, shift in traditional distribution of power and a federation of backward castes into a large conglomeration. Vokkaliga Sangha The Vokkaliga Sangha in Mysore launched an anti-Brahman movement in 1905. Justice Movement This movement in Madras Presidency was started by C.N. Mudliar, T.M. Nair and P. Tyagraja to secure jobs and representation for the non-Brahmans in the legislature. In 1917, Madras Presidency Association was formed which demanded separate representation for the lower castes in the legislature. Self-Respect Movement This movement was started by E.V. Ramaswamy Nekar, Abalija Naidu, in the mid-1920s. The movement aimed at nothing short of a rejection of the Brahmanical religion and culture which Nekar felt was the prime instrument of exploitation of the lower castes. He sought to undermine the position of Brahman priests by formalizing weddings without Brahman priests. Temple Entry Movement Significant work in this direction had already been done by reformers and intellectuals like Shri Narayana Guru and N. Kumaran Asan. T.K. Madhavan, a prominent social reformer and editor of Deshabhimani, took up the issue of temple entry with the Travancore administration. Nothing transpired. In the meanwhile, Vaikam, in the northern part of Travancore, became a center of agitation for temple entry. In 1924, the Vaikam Satyagraha led by K.P. Keswa was launched in Kerala demanding the throwing open of Hindu temples and roads to the untouchables. The Satyagraha was reinforced by Jathas from Punjab and Madurai. Gandhi undertook a tour of Kerala in support of the movement. Again in 1931, when the civil disobedience movement was suspended, a temple entry movement was organized in Kerala. Inspired by K. Kelappan, poet Subramaniam Tirumambu, the singing sword of Kerala led a group of 16 volunteers to Guruvayur. Leaders like P. Krishna Pillai and A. K. Gopalan were among the Satyagrahis. Finally, On 12th November 1936, the Maharaja of Travancore issued a proclamation throwing open all government-controlled temples to all Hindus. A similar step was taken by the C. Rajgopalachari administration in Madras in 1938. Indian Social Conference Founded by M.G. Ranade and Raghunath Rao, The Indian Social Conference met annually from its first session in Madras in 1887 at the same time and venue as the Indian National Congress. It focused attention on the social issues of importance, it could be called the social reform cell of the Indian National Congress, in fact. 
The conference advocated inter-caste marriages, opposed polygamy and colonialism. It launched the pledge movement to inspire people to take a pledge against child marriage. Wahhabi Waliullah movement, the teachings of Abdul Wahhab of Arabia and the preachings of Shah Waliullah 1702-1763 inspired this essentially revivalist response to western influences and the degeneration which had set in among Indian Muslims and called for a return to the true spirit of Islam. He was the first Indian Muslim leader of the 18th century to organize Muslims around the twofold ideals of this movement. Desirability of harmony among the four schools of Muslim jurisprudence which had divided the Indian Muslims, he sought to integrate the best elements of the four schools. Recognition of the role of individual conscience in religion where conflicting interpretations were derived from the Quran and the Hadith. The teachings of Waliullah were further popularized by Shah Abdul Aziz and Syed Ahmed Barelvi who also gave them a political perspective. Un-Islamic practices that had crept into Muslim society were sought to be eliminated. Syed Ahmed called for a return to the pure Islam and the kind of society that had existed in the Arabia of the Prophet's time. India was considered to be Darul Harb, land of the Kafirs, and it needed to be converted to Darul Islam, land of Islam. Initially, the movement was directed at the Sikhs in Punjab but after the British annexation of Punjab, 1849, the movement was directed against the British. During the 1857 revolt, the Wahhabis played an important role in spreading anti-British feelings. The Wahhabi movement fizzled out in the face of British military might in the 1870s. Titu Mir's movement Mir Nithar Ali, popularly known as Titu Mir, was a disciple of Syed Ahmed Barelvi, the founder of the Wahhabi movement. Titu Mir adopted Wahhabism and advocated the Sharia. He organized the Muslim peasants of Bengal against the landlords, who were mostly Hindu and the British indigo planters. The movement was not as militant as the British records made it out to be. Only in the last year of Titu's life was there a confrontation between him and the British police. He was killed in action in 1831. Faraizi Movement The movement, also called the Faraizi Movement because of its emphasis on the Islamic pillars of faith, was founded by Haji Shariatullah in 1818. Its scene of action was East Bengal, and it aimed at the eradication of social innovations or un-Islamic practices current among the Muslims of the region and draw their attention to their duties as Muslims. Under the leadership of Haji's son, Dudu Mia, the movement became revolutionary from 1840 onwards. He gave the movement an organizational system from the village to the provincial level with a khalifa or authorized deputy at every level. The Faraidis organized a paramilitary force armed with clubs to fight the Zamindars who were mostly Hindu, though there were some Muslim landlords too, besides the indigo planters. Dudu Mia asked his followers not to pay rent. The organization even established its own law courts. Dudu Mia was arrested several times, 
and his arrest in 1847 finally weakened the movement. The movement survived merely as a religious movement without political overtones after the death of Dudu Mia in 1862. Ahmadiyya movement. The Ahmadiyya forms a sect of Islam which originated from India. It was founded by Mirza Ghulam Ahmad in 1889. It was based on liberal principles. It described itself as the standard bearer of Muhammadan Renaissance and based itself, like the Brahmo Samaj, on the principles of universal religion of all humanity, opposing jihad, sacred war against non-Muslims. The movement spread Western liberal education among the Indian Muslims. The Ahmadiyya community is the only Islamic sect to believe that the Messiah had come in the person of Mirza Ghulam Ahmad to end religious wars and bloodshed and to reinstate morality, peace and justice. They believed in separating the mosque from the state as well as in human rights and tolerance. However, the Ahmadiyya movement, like Baha'ism which flourished in the West Asian countries, suffered from mysticism. Sir Syed Ahmed Khan and the Aligarh Movement The British view on the revolt of 1857 held the Muslims to be the main conspirators. This view was further strengthened by the activities of the Wahhabis. But later, an opinion got currency among the rulers that the Muslims could be used as allies against a rising tide of nationalist political activity represented, among others, by the foundation of the Indian National Congress. This was to be achieved through offers of thoughtful concessions to the Muslims. A section of Muslims led by Sayyid Ahmed Khan, 1817-1898, was ready to allow the official patronage to stimulate a process of growth among Indian Muslims through better education and employment opportunities. Sayyid Ahmed Khan, born in a respectable Muslim family, was a loyalist member of the judicial service of the British government. After retirement in 1876, he became a member of the Imperial Legislative Council in 1878. His loyalty earned him a knighthood in 1888. He wanted to reconcile Western scientific education with the teachings of the Quran which were to be interpreted in the light of contemporary rationalism and science even though he also held the Quran to be the ultimate authority. He said that religion should be adaptable with time or else it would become fossilized and that religious tenets were not immutable. He advocated a critical approach and freedom of thought and not complete dependence on tradition or custom. He was also a zealous educationist as an official. He opened schools in towns got books translated into Urdu and started the Muhammadan Anglo-Oriental College later the Aligarh Muslim University at Aligarh in 1875. He also struggled to bring about an improvement in the position of women through better education and by opposing pardah and polygamy, advocating easy divorce, and condemning the system of piri and muridi. He believed in the fundamental underlying unity of religions or practical morality. He also preached the basic commonality of Hindu and Muslim interests. 
Sayyid Ahmed Khan argued that Muslims should first concentrate on education and jobs and try to catch up with their Hindu counterparts who had gained the advantage of an early start. Active participation in politics at that point, he felt, would invite hostility of the government towards the Muslim masses. Therefore, he opposed political activity by the Muslims. Unfortunately, in his enthusiasm to promote the educational and employment interests of the Muslims, he allowed himself to be used by the colonial government in its obnoxious policy of divide and rule and, in later years, started propagating divergence of interests of Hindus and Muslims. Sayyid's progressive social ideas were propagated through his magazine Tehdibulakhlak, Improvement of Manners and Morals. The Aligarh movement emerged as a liberal, modern trend among the Muslim intelligentsia based in Muhammadan Anglo-Oriental College, Aligarh. It aimed at spreading modern education among Indian Muslims without weakening their allegiance to Islam. Social reforms among Muslims relating to parda, polygamy, widow remarriage, women's education, slavery, divorce, etc. The ideology of the followers of the movement was based on a liberal interpretation of the Quran and they sought to harmonize Islam with modern liberal culture. They wanted to impart a distinct socio-cultural identity to Muslims on modern lines. Soon, Aligarh became the center of religious and cultural revival of the Muslim community. The Deoband school, Darul Ulum, the Deoband movement was organized by the orthodox section among the Muslim ulema as a revivalist movement with the twin objectives of propagating pure teachings of the Quran and Hadith among Muslims and keeping alive the spirit of jihad against the foreign rulers. The Deoband movement was begun at the Darul Ulum or Islamic Academic Center, Deoband, in Saharanpur district, United Provinces, in 1866 by Muhammad Qasim Nanotwi, 1832-1980 and Rashid Ahmed Gangohi, 1828-1905 to train religious leaders for the Muslim community. In contrast to the Aligarh movement, which aimed at the welfare of Muslims through Western education and support of the British government, the aim of the Deoband movement was moral and religious regeneration of the Muslim community. The instruction imparted at Deoband was in the original Islamic religion. On the political front, the Deoband school welcomed the formation of the Indian National Congress and in 1888 issued a fatwa, religious decree, against Syed Ahmed Khan's organizations, the United Patriotic Association and the Mohammedan Anglo-Oriental Association. Some critics attribute Deoband's support to the nationalists more to its determined opposition to Syed Ahmed Khan than to any positive political philosophy. Mahmudul Hassan, the new Deoband leader, gave a political and intellectual content to the religious ideas of the school. He worked out a synthesis of Islamic principles and nationalist aspirations. The Jamiyatul Ulema gave a concrete shape to Hassan's ideas of protection of the religious and political rights of the Muslims in the overall context of Indian unity and national objectives. Shibli Numani, a supporter of the Deoband school, 
favored the inclusion of English language and European sciences in the system of education. He founded the Nadwatal Ulma and Darul Uloom in Lucknow in 1894-1996. He believed in the idealism of the Congress and cooperation between the Muslims and the Hindus of India to create a state in which both could live amicably. Parsi Reform Movements The Renumai Masdayasnan Sabha, Religious Reform Association, was founded in 1851 by a group of English-educated Parsis for the regeneration of the social conditions of the Parsis and the restoration of the Zoroastrian religion to its pristine purity. The movement had Noroji Furdonji, Dadabhai Noroji, K.R. Kama and S.S. Bengali as its leaders. The message of reform was spread by the newspaper Rast Gofter, Truth Teller. Parsi religious rituals and practices were reformed and the Parsi creed redefined. In the social sphere, attempts were made to uplift the status of Parsi women through removal of the Parda system, raising the age of marriage and education. Gradually, the Parsis emerged as the most westernized section of Indian society. Sikh Reform Movements the Sikh community could not remain untouched by the rising tide of rationalist and progressive ideas of the 19th century. The Singh Sabha movement was founded at Amritsar in 1873 with a twofold objective. To make available modern Western education to the Sikhs and to counter the proselytizing activities of Christian missionaries as well as the Brahmo Samajists, Arya Samajists and Muslim Malbis. For the first objective, a network of Khalsa schools was established by the Sabha throughout Punjab. In the second direction, everything that went against the Guru's teachings was rejected and rites and customs considered to be consistent with Sikh doctrine were sought to be established. The Akali movement, also known as Gurudwara Reform Movement, was an offshoot of the Singh Sabha movement. It aimed at liberating the Sikh Gurudwaras from the control of corrupt Udasi Mahants, the post having become hereditary. These Mahants were a loyalist and reactionary lot, enjoying government patronage. The government tried its repressive policies against the non-violent non-cooperation Satyagraha launched by the Akalis in 1921, but had to bow before popular demands, it passed the Sikh Gurudwaras Act in 1922, amended in 1925, which gave the control of Gurudwaras to the Sikh masses to be administered through Shiromni Gurudwara Prabandhak Committee, SGPC, as the apex body. The Akali movement was a regional movement, but not a communal one. The Akali leaders played a notable role in the national liberation struggle though some dissenting voices were heard occasionally. The Theosophical Movement a group of Westerners led by Madame H. P. Blavitsky, 1831-1891, and Colonel M. S. Olcott, who was inspired by Indian thought and culture, founded the Theosophical Society in New York City, United States in 1875. In 1882, they shifted their headquarters to Adyar, on the outskirts of Madras, at that time, in India.
The society believed that a special relationship could be established between a person's soul and God by contemplation, prayer, revelation, etc. It accepted the Hindu beliefs in reincarnation and karma and drew inspiration from the philosophy of the Upanishads and Sankhya, Yoga and Vedanta schools of thought. It aimed to work for universal brotherhood of humanity without distinction of race, creed, sex, caste or color. The society also sought to investigate the unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in man. The theosophical movement came to be allied with the Hindu renaissance. At one time it allied with the Arya Samaj too. It opposed child marriage and advocated the abolition of caste discrimination, uplift of outcasts, improvement in the condition of widows. In India, the movement became somewhat popular with the election of Annie Besant (1847–1933) as its president after the death of Alcott in 1907. Annie Besant had come to India in 1893. She laid the foundation of the Central Hindu College in Banaras in 1898 where both Hindu religion and Western scientific subjects were taught. The college became the nucleus for the formation of Banaras Hindu University in 1916. Annie Besant also did much for the cause of the education of women. The Theosophical Society provided a common denominator for the various sects and fulfilled the urge of educated Hindus. However, to an average Indian the Theosophist philosophy seemed to be vague and lacking a positive program to that extent its impact was limited to a small segment of the westernized class. As religious revivalists, the Theosophists did not attain much success but as a movement of Westerners glorifying Indian religious and philosophical traditions, it gave much-needed self-respect to the Indians fighting British colonial rule. Viewed from another angle, the Theosophists also had the effect of giving a false sense of pride to the Indians in their outdated and sometimes backward-looking traditions and philosophy. Significance of Reform Movements Positive Aspects The orthodox sections of society could not accept the scientific ideological onslaught of the socio-religious rebels. As a result of this, the reformers were subjected to abuse, persecution, issuing of fatwas and even assassination attempts by the reactionaries. However, in spite of opposition, these movements managed to contribute towards the liberation of the individual from conformity born out of fear and from uncritical submission to exploitation by the priests and other classes. The translation of religious texts into vernacular languages, emphasis on an individual's right to interpret the scriptures and simplification of rituals made worship a more personal experience. The movements emphasized the human intellect's capacity to think and reason. By weeding out corrupt elements, religious beliefs and practices, the reformers enabled their followers to meet the official taunt that their religions and society were decadent and inferior. The reform movements gave the rising middle classes the much-needed cultural roots to cling to, 
and served the purpose of reducing the sense of humiliation which the conquest by a foreign power had produced. A realization of the special needs of modern times, especially in terms of scientific knowledge and thus promoting a modern, thisworldly, secular and rational outlook was a major contribution of these reform movements. Socially, this attitude reflected a basic change in the notions of pollution and purity. Although traditional values and customs were a prominent target of attack from the reformers, yet the reformers aimed at modernization rather than outright westernization based on blind imitation of alien western cultural values. In fact, the reform movements sought to create a favorable social climate for modernization. To that extent, these movements ended India's cultural and intellectual isolation from the rest of the world. The reformers argued that modern ideas and culture could be best imbibed by integrating them into Indian cultural streams. The underlying concern of these reformist efforts was revival of the native cultural personality which had got distorted by various factors over the years. This cultural ideological struggle was to prove to be an important instrument in the evolution of national consciousness and a part of Indian national resolve to resist colonial cultural and ideological hegemony. However, not all these progressive, nationalist tendencies were able to outgrow the sectarian and obscurantist outlook. This was possibly due to the divergent duality of cultural and political struggles resulting in cultural backwardness despite political advancement. Negative Aspects One of the major limitations of the religious reform movements was that they had a narrow social base, namely the educated and urban middle classes, while the needs of the vast masses of peasantry and the urban poor were ignored. The tendency of reformers to appeal to the greatness of the past and to rely on scriptural authority encouraged mysticism in new garbs and fostered pseudoscientific thinking while exercising a check on the full acceptance of the need for a modern scientific outlook. But, above all, these tendencies contributed, at least to some extent, in compartmentalizing Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs and Parsis as also alienating high-caste Hindus from low-caste Hindus. The emphasis on religious and philosophical aspects of the cultural heritage got somewhat magnified by an insufficient emphasis on other aspects of culture, art, architecture, literature, music, science and technology. To make matters worse, the Hindu reformers confined their praise of the Indian past to its ancient period and looked upon the medieval period of Indian history essentially as an era of decadence. This tended to create a notion of to separate peoples. On the one hand, on the other, an uncritical praise of the past was not acceptable to the low-caste sections of society which had suffered under religiously sanctioned exploitation during the ancient period. Moreover, the past itself tended to be placed into compartments on a partisan basis. Many in the Muslim middle classes went to the extent of turning to the history of West Asia for their traditions and moments of pride. The process of evolution of a composite culture 
which was evident throughout Indian history showed signs of being arrested with the rise of another form of consciousness, communal consciousness, along with national consciousness among the middle classes. Many other factors were certainly responsible for the birth of communalism in modern times, but undoubtedly the nature of religious reform movements also contributed to it. On the whole, however, whatever the net outcome of these reform movements, it was out of this struggle that a new society evolved in India.